This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we interviewed Lisha Sterling. She is the Executive Director for Geeks Without Bounds. She has a pretty awesome story where she started out actually doing humanitarian aid work, ended up in programming, and then wound back up in humanitarian aid work with programming. It's a fascinating story. Geeks Without Bounds is a great program. And I'm super excited to have her on the show. Me too. But before we get into the show, I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. If you go to DigitalOcean.com and you use the promo code HEYWTR, you can save $10, which turns out is a two-month rental of a server, right? Because it's only $5 a month. They have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. And basically, they're, they're a cloud hosting provider. You can spin up a cloud server in 55 seconds. That includes 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabytes SSD, one CPU, and one terabyte transfer. And uh, they also pay authors $100 to $200 for technical tutorials. So if you happen to already use DigitalOcean or want to try it and then like it so much that you want to write about it, you can get paid for that after, of course, you save on two months of service. Yeah, and their tutorials are bar bar none some of the best on the internet. I even end up there for things not for my DigitalOcean BPS. Which, by the way, with those SSDs is disgustingly fast. (laughs) So if you use HeyWTR, you support Women's Tech Radio. And turns out if you did not remember to enter a promo code when you started DigitalOcean, just just go try to put it in there. Yeah, I actually did that. And Mm -hmm. it totally worked for mine like a couple years ago when Coda Radio had it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you can still use it. So HeyWTR, go to DigitalOcean.com. Yeah. And we get started with our interview with Lisha by asking her to explain her current position and what she's up to in technology. I'm the executive director at Geeks Without Bounds, and we support humanitarian open source projects through a combination of hackathons and an accelerator program. So my work these days sort of entangles both my early career in international aid work and, and charity work and my academic side. I studied Latin American studies in college and the rest of my professional life, which has been software development and systems engineering. And now I get to use technology to do disaster response and humanitarian aid and international development work. Wow, that's a pretty awesome way to use technology. Yeah, it is. So so that sounds like a pretty big jump from, um, you know, international aid work into software development. Can you tell me the story of like how that came to be for you? Yeah. So um, first off, being, you know, a privileged white kid, I had my first computer when I was eight years old. Uh, actually, my dad got me two Timex Sinclair 1000s, one for his house and one for my mom's house, and connected it up to the black and white TV and put rubber bands around it so that the extra 16K of memory wouldn't disconnect <laughs> while we programmed. <laughs> and and thus, I became, began my journey as a new programmer learning basic and then going, oh, there's a thing called assembly language. <laughs> and I got involved with like a computer club and was your basic tomboy geek girl. Then uh, I had my first kid when I was 17. 
and went off to El Salvador, did, did aid work during the war and during the first year of the peace, came back to the U.S., did a bunch of work with uh, refugees, had another kid, decided that I should probably go to college. And since I'd been working with Central Americans and in Central America, it was obvious what I was going to study. I was going to study Latin American studies and, and go do more of the same sort of stuff. But being a mom with two small kids, I, and, and no real skills or degree, I was able to make $4.25 an hour and my childcare cost like $7.50 an hour. Uh, the math does not add up. No. <laughs> and <laughs> no, now that I have three, like uh, daycare just isn't even an option. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of my friends from my young computing days, a young man that I dated when I was like 11 and 12, and our, our first date was actually to a tech conference at the Moscone Center. That's adorable. So, um, you know, we're still friends as adults. And, and he said to me, why don't you get a job as a programmer? And I was like, y you're crazy. I, I don't have a degree in CS. I can't program. He's like, don't be stupid. Nobody cares about your CS degree. Just tell them you can program, show them some code, and they'll let you do it. But his caveat came. You must charge $25 an hour. Wow. It's like, I, I can't charge $25 an hour. He's like, no, if you do not charge $25 an hour, I will never speak to you again. Oh my goodness. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to pause you there. Cause like, this is a really interesting question that I always dig around. Why could you not charge $25 an hour? Well, cause I was getting $4 and 25 cents an hour. The idea. Perceived value. Perceived value. Right. The, the idea that I was going to go to somebody and have balls enough to say, yeah, I'm a programmer. I don't have any degrees or any proof that I can actually do this, but you should totally pay me $25 an hour for it. Inferiority complex. Yep. I'm familiar with all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, my friendship was on the line and my ability to take care of my children was on the line. So... I did it and just about keeled over the first time somebody said, yes, we will hire you. <laughs> wow. What did, what, did it, what did it take to get your foot in the door? Was it really just like your friend said? You just showed up and were like, look, I can program. Let's go. Actually, yeah, it literally was that easy. So I, I went for low-hanging fruit right at the start since I was at community college at the time. And so at the time I was working as an administrative assistant for Sybase. This probably puts the timing into <laughs> into perspective. Your cho your choice of the computer, your choice of computer at the top, I made that pretty clear. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I was working for Sybase as an administrative assistant and um, had gotten the opportunity to play with web stuff there on the side. Just it, the the first browsers were out, but nobody was really using them. So even at Sybase, they were like, this is stupid. Why are you wasting your time with this? But of course I was going to college. So I went to all of my professors and I said, have you seen this thing called the web? You, you should check this out. You can put your research up and you can put your classwork stuff up. Which is exactly what the web was originally built for, was to share research. Right, exactly. And, and they said, oh, wow, that's neat. 
And yeah, could you do that for me? So that was how I got my foot in the door. And then, um, you know, I got a little bit braver and I went to the administrators of the Peralta College District. So I went to the administrators to the Peralta College District and said, you know, you guys should really have a better website. And they said, you know what, you're right. Mm -hmm. And so I got to do some contracting for them. And, and then I uh, found out about dice.com. And actually the, the same friend that told me that I had to charge $25 or he would never speak to me again, told me about dice. And at the time, almost nobody knew about it. And you had to get your dice listings off of Gopher. And he told me, don't tell anyone about this because when everybody knows about it, then it's going to start getting harder to get jobs. So you're not allowed to tell anybody about it. So, you know, there I was in the early 90s using dice by Gopher. Um, <laughs> but I found some jobs and, and then recruiters started contacting me and I found that I could actually work from home, which by that time was actually uh, the UC Berkeley family housing. Uh, was able to basically pay for my own schooling with scholarships, pay for my kids' daycare and private school with programming. And everybody kept saying, why aren't you studying computer science? And I would say, I'm already working in computer science. Why would I get a degree in it? But then eventually I finished my bachelor's degree and I intended to go on with grad school. But um, I had that moment where it's like, I need some time without poverty and working just enough hours to keep us afloat is like, we've done that for a while. I need to spend some time working full time. And then, then work ended up eating my life for, oh, 20 years. So, so at that point you got a, a full-time job in computer science somewhere? So at that, yeah, at that time I ended up getting a uh, full-time work. Uh, I worked, wow, in the mid nineties, I worked at Wells Fargo Bank doing problem and change tracking uh, during the Y2K reprogramming stuff. Anybody who says that the Y2K thing was nothing was not there to program all the fixes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it only wasn't a thing because you guys were doing it. Yeah. Right, exactly. It wasn't a thing because there were a lot of people working really hard to make sure it was not a thing. Um, so I, I was there. Uh, I worked, I did contracts, random contracts for, you know, media companies and whatnot, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area. It, Amazon. I worked at Amazon in the UK. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. And then eventually stumbled back into Geeks Without Bounds? Yeah, so my, my first sort of hit between the eyes was 2001. And after 9-11, after I said, I'm not working on any more Microsoft or any more closed source. From here on out, I'm only going to do open source because I've already sold my soul and I'm not doing humanitarian work. At least I'm going to do, you know, code work that I care about. So, you know, from 2001 onward, I was working almost exclusively on open source software. 
Um, and then even that kind of hit me at some point. I'm like, I went to college so that I could do humanitarian work. Why am I still writing code? <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided to just quit everything and um, figure out what I was going to do with my life when I grow up. And I declared myself an undergraduate student. If you're familiar with the, the idea of unschooling, which is like homeschooling without a curriculum. Yep. There's also such a thing as uncollege. Uh, and I, I don't know, there might be somebody else in the world who came up with the idea at about the same time I did, or even before I did. But, you know, I, I came up with this sort of independently where I'd been thinking about going back to grad school and then said, why would I get myself into more debt? I'm just going to un, un grad school. So that's what I did. And that ended up getting me into an organization called the School Factory, which is the fiscal sponsor for Geeks Without Bounds. And then that, of course, led me into Geeks Without Bounds. I started out as a volunteer. Then I was the developer coordinator. And then last year, I became the executive director. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's a really awesome journey. It's it's all over the map, but it's very, very personal. I think, and, and I love that about tech is it's just, it's not, it's not a straight and narrow path. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of ways you can come to tech and there's lots of things you can do with the tech once you're in it or playing with it. Yeah. So that's, it's not just one tool. It's like all these different tools. It's kind of like saying, what can you do with wood? Well, you can do all sorts of things with wood. <laughs> right. What do you want to do with wood? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I think a lot of people would hear your story and say, well, you, you kind of had perfect timing. You're like in the Bill Gates timing era where like if you just caught on to the right thing at the right time, you were good to go. How would how would you respond to somebody saying that like in today's climate that, oh, I couldn't just show up and say, I know how to code, pay me $25 an hour, let's go kind of a thing. Like, Because I would argue that, that in some ways we're kind of seeing that again, but what's your thoughts? I think we're absolutely seeing that again. And uh, I think that right now is a really good time to, um, to ride the wave of open source into your dream job. And so a little shameless promotion here. Uh, at Geeks Without Bounds, one of the programs that we have is an internship program. And we take novice developers who have, who, who have learned some programming skills, but have either you know, never gotten any job experience or they don't know how to use GitHub and work in a team or, you know, go through issue tracking and figure out how to pick a project out of the issues, you know, that kind of thing. We give them mentorship. We have them work on some of the humanitarian projects in our ecosystem and, and we try to shove them at as many other opportunities to get a real job as possible. Sometimes we also manage to get a grant here or there to give them a stipend, but most of them are sort of slave labor in exchange for lots of mentorship and their code up on GitHub so that they can show it to other people. And we have had some really great success with people coming into that program, doing some amazing work on one project or another over the course of three months, uh, five months, six months, and then going on to get a real job in programming. We had one guy who had studied 
aeronautics engineering, got all the way through his degree and realized that that was not what he wanted to do with his life. And what he really wanted to do was be a programmer. That's a big investment to make that shift. Exactly. And I snagged him and I was like, let me put you to work. <laughs> and it was fantastic. He, um, he got projects that he really enjoyed working on. He learned a whole bunch of stuff very fast. He managed to um, get a stipend and then he got a paid internship. And then, you know, now he's working full time as a developer in Chicago and, you know, you can totally do that. Um, and, and you don't have to have a bachelor's degree to begin with either. Like anybody really can do that. So do you take a lot of people who've maybe like either done a lot of self-taught stuff on the internet now or boot camp graduates or how, how do people kind of end up ready to go into Geeks Without Bounds internships? All of the above. Um, I've had, I've had people who were in their junior or senior year of college um, decide to spend the summer working on projects with us. Um, I've had um, people that had were totally and completely self-taught. Um, and there have been people who've done uh, some sort of boot camp-like experience. Uh, so they knew a bit more about how to work in teams and things like that, but they just wanted to get some more work experience while they were looking for a job. Like they already knew how to look for a job. They just wanted to keep their, you know, the, the code lines on GitHub up yeah. <laughs> while they were looking for that job. And that's, so, I mean, that's yeah. one of the biggest recommendations I give to anybody who's going through bootcamp is like, keep committing, just keep getting it up there. Absolutely. And and so like okay so that's kind of the intern side of it. How about like an in the I guess the nonprofit side? Like how does a nonprofit get involved with you? Are they just finding you online? Are you doing events or something to kind of bring them in? What does that look like? So we end up meeting people in all sorts of situations. Sometimes at conferences or at say um, disaster response drills. Sometimes we'll meet people there. Sometimes it's literally um, looking for who's in the area that needs support right now. Uh, and sometimes people come to us. And then basically we just kind of have lots of conversations and develop relationship over time and let people know that if they have challenges that they think that technology could help them with, that we're happy to help them craft that into a challenge that somebody can actually address. And when we're crafting or curating challenges for hackathons, we try to create a, a challenge that can actually be addressed in a weekend. So there might be backstory and a problem that like clearly this is not going to be solved in a weekend, but here's the backstory and here's the piece we want to accomplish this weekend. So you guys kind of handle the project manage end of that prepping it to go into the hackathon right exactly and then so you know once you get a starting point basically if if you've got say an app that sort of is attempting to deal with the big picture um then you can break that down into um lots of different challenges and you can take that from one humanitarian hackathon to the next to the next 
And the great thing about that is that you start with a, a couple of people who got interested in the project at the first hackathon. Um, and maybe one of those, maybe two people will stay on board and keep working on the project over time. Which is one of the biggest challenges with hackathons is actually getting people to commit almost. Yeah. Exactly. So you take the project to the next hackathon and let's say four or five people work on it and one of those people decides they want to keep working on the project long term. So now you've just snowballed your your team. You've got, you know, two people or three people instead of just the people from the original hackathon. And then you take it to the next one and and it gets stickier and the the more work has been done and the larger the core team is the stickier the ball gets as it goes from one hackathon to the next. Yeah, it builds momentum. Yeah, it builds momentum. Um, and you get to a certain point where you can actually have a whole hackathon where all the challenges that are being presented are all based around that one piece of software. Mm. So, for instance, uh, one of the projects that started at a hackathon, Ta'arifa, that project has had multiple hackathons that are just about Tarifa, where all of the challenges are all either bug fixes or feature requests for Tarifa that have ranged from um, improve the documentation to create a Swahili translation for all of the text to um, you know fix the security bugs to you know create new features. And that team is one of one of the most amazing teams that we're working with right now. Actually, I'm I'm pretty impressed with where that project has has ended up. It's being used by the World Bank uh, in many countries in Africa. Um, we at Geeks Without Bounds are part of a consortium um, that is being supported by HDAF uh, UK Aid to put Tarifa into the water system in Tanzania in order to allow citizens to report to the government when water pumps and, and spigots and other water points are broken so and allows the government to keep track of uh, what is working and what is broken in the water infrastructure everywhere in the country. Crowdsourcing water maintenance. That's awesome. That is awesome. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and Tarifa was originally developed for water management, actually. But now it's being used for tracking uh, education systems, healthcare systems. And this summer, I'm going down to Ecuador to work with um, people from the Kofan community in northern Ecuador in order to use Tarifa to track pollution and encroachment in the Amazon jungle. So pretty awesome little piece of software there. Yeah. So so you have a, a former commitment in your life to only work on open source software. Is that something that's carried forward that Geeks Without Bounds is also doing when they're doing these projects with nonprofits? Are yes. you largely open source? Mostly well, what's the deal? So it's it's all open source. We, we specifically work on open source humanitarian projects. So open source projects that for whatever reason, we can't find a way to call it humanitarian, that, that we don't work on those. <laughs> <laughs> we've, 
we've managed to find ways to call lots of things humanitarian, though. Like today, we were working on PGP email app for Firefox OS phones. Wow. Um, and I consider that to be a humanitarian issue because Firefox OS phones are marketed to low-income people in developed countries and to people in the least developed countries on the planet. So in other words, Firefox OS phones are being marketed to vulnerable people. Yeah. And as a system, it doesn't have the security and privacy tools that an iPhone or an Android phone has. And at the moment, there's no guardian project for Firefox OS. So um, we're trying to kick one off, basically. Yeah, so I'm going to jump in just for anybody listening who doesn't know. PGP is a email encryption program called Pretty Good Privacy. It's kind of the de facto standard right now for email encryption, usable by anybody. If you're interested in having encrypted email, there's tons of stuff online. Um, and one of our former guests, uh, Snubs, has some awesome tutorials on Hack5 about how to do that if you want to check it out. But yeah, so privacy is security. And for... for you know, newbies to uh, PGP who use Hotmail or Yahoo Mail or Gmail, I would really recommend looking up a program called Mailvelope. Um, it's a Firefox uh, and Chrome plugin. So you just plug it into your browser and then it recognizes that you're on a webmail site and it will allow you to encrypt your email in webmail, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I, I mean, this this project you're involved with, I'm not going to lie, it, it touches my heart in a very special way. Like, I think that technology can change the world if we if we let it. Um, and I think getting more people involved at that level is just phenomenal. The way that you're doing it is great. Um, if people want to find you, how do they do that? To find Geeks Without Bounds, to get involved either as a nonprofit or as a coder, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, so we're online at uh, org. Guab. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com for the show notes and full transcription, as well as the contact form. Drop down the show, drop down to Women's Tech Radio and send us your feedback or suggestions on who you'd like to see or hear on the show. You can also check us out on iTunes and in our RSS feed is linked at our show page on Jupiter Broadcasting. Um, if you have a moment, please leave us a review on iTunes. This help out the show and also lets us know what you think. And also follow us at HeyWTR on Twitter. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>